0: I seem to be buzzing. <laughs> that's, a, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, I heard some of you mumbling uh, uh, during the Costa Rica picture show. We saw the road sign there, and you're like, what does that road sign mean? You're like, this type of thing. And we were pretty sure as we went by it, it meant watch out for falling meteorites. Uh, but then we found out it means turn your lights on. So, But that, that's why the sign was there. We just thought it was fun. All right, so if you walk into just about uh, any store uh, today, you're going to be reminded that Easter is only a few weeks away, Uh, five to be exact. And uh, did I just die? No? I'm good. Okay. Uh, I decided I wanted to spend the next uh, five weeks emphasizing some uh, uh, of the incredible truths uh, of Easter I mean, if you've ever stopped and, and thought about it, you realize that Christianity would be little different from any other religion in this world apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have to take those two things together, right? I mean, there have been lots of religious leaders who have you know been persecuted and killed, but only Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the resurrection proves that his, his mission... Um, On earth uh, was uh, accepted and completed and um, um, brought in, accepted by God. Um, He's got God's stamp of approval. So I'm going to spend the next few weeks uh, looking at exactly what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Uh, Not everything, obviously, because there'd be way more stuff than you could cover in five weeks. Uh, But starting this morning, uh, every week up until Easter, we're just going to do a short series called Because of the Cross, We Are. Because of the cross, we are. And then each week, we're going to look at something that's true for us or of us because of the cross. And um you know, the actual events uh, and circumstances surrounding death and resurrection. uh, You'll find that in the historical books of the Gospels. But to find out what was accomplished on the cross, you need to go to the teaching books of the New Testament. So this morning, uh, let's open up to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. And and these five truths that I've picked out for the next uh, few weeks, they're in no particular order. This one This morning is not more important than the fifth one we'll look at. They're all equally valid and important. This is just the the order I chose to to preach them in. Today we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, just two verses, 13 and 14. So follow along as I read them out loud and and then you'll see that today, because of the cross, we are debt-free. When, Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Father God, again, we're just so grateful, so thankful um, for your word, which teaches us uh, these vital truths for us. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And we just pray this morning that your spirit would be free to work in our hearts, in our minds, and lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just for the fun of it, I, I looked up a, a few, uh, a little bit of data on um, uh, American debt. What debt is here in America? And I found a report that was published by NASDAQ back in two, uh, May of 2017. So it's it's almost two years old, but I'm sure these are still uh, pretty, pretty uh, close in, in their numbers. I uh, found out that the median student loan debt for a person who has attended some or graduated from college is more than forty-nine thousand uh, dollars. The average, average household credit card debt is five thousand dollars. Now, average means it's including all those homes that carry zero, right? Don't have any. So, if you if you just took uh, all those households carrying some credit card debt and looked at the median debt. It's over $16,000, people carrying on their credit card. The average auto loan exceeds $30,000. Personal loans, other miscellaneous debts, personal loans just to pay off things you, you just can't pay off, uh, more than $10,000 per household in the United States right now. I mean, that, that's, that's just kind of crazy, isn't it? And the, and, and the NASDAQ article went on to explain that many people feel like they are trapped, that they're, they're imprisoned by their debt. It's almost as if God knew what He was talking about when He said back in Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Um, fortunately... The Bible gives some you know, really good instructions on managing finances. And most of the time, you know, barring uh, calamity that we have little or no control over, most of the time, if we follow the biblical principles of, of money management, we won't have to worry about living under that kind of crushing uh, imprisonment of debt. However, that is not the kind of debt that I want to look at today. You see, there's another debt that each and every person owes. And it is it is far more crushing than a $50,000 student loan or $16,000 of credit card debt. The, the Bible speaks of, of our debt to God. It's not a financial debt, but a spiritual one. And, and the payment for this debt is not cash. It's your life. So obviously... This is a very uh, incredibly important situation. And, and that's the debt that the Apostle Paul was addressing in these two verses. So a little bit of background will help us understand these uh, two verses we read just a little bit better. The church in Colossae uh, was under attack by some false teachers. It uh, was being infiltrated by a group that scholars have named the Judaizers. This was a group of Jewish people uh, who went around and caused problems at, at several of the New Testament churches. And the main way that they caused problems was by teaching the people you know, that Jesus Christ w- was good, what he did was great, but it was not quite enough to totally save us. They would teach that you, you, you need to put your faith in Jesus. That was a necessary start, but more was required for you to complete salvation. And they believed that in order for a, a, a person to be right with God, to have all of their sins forgiven, that they, they not only had to believe in Jesus, but they also had to convert to Judaism, the Jewish faith, hence the name Judaizers. And practically, what this would mean is that for the men, they would need to be circumcised, and for everyone, men and women, that they would all have to follow the law of Moses. And since they knew you couldn't follow the whole law of Moses, they really emphasized the dietary laws. You really got to follow that. And and logically, that all seemed to make sense because, you know, after all, how could. Anyone possibly expect uh, to, to have God's approval unless they meticulously followed the laws that God had, had given to them. It didn't make sense to, to these false teachers and to many people that salvation could, could be so easy. I mean, surely we, we have to do our part. Certainly there has to be something for us to do. And they went around teaching that idea. Now maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know, that's kind of an interesting tidbit of history from, uh, or, you know, the New Testament times, uh, but uh, I don't see what it really has to do with us today because there doesn't seem to be a lot of Jewish people in hot springs trying to infiltrate our churches telling us that we have to get circumcised and follow the laws uh, of Moses. So since that's not happening, what does that have to do with us? And yes, I I agree that's that's probably true. We don't see that happening. But you know what? That same error is still being taught today. Uh, Just like back then, people today have a hard time believing that salvation could, could be as easy and as simple as just putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, as humans, we, we've been conditioned to believe that you have to, to fight for, you have to earn what you get, right? I mean, I, I was taught that from childhood on up. I grew up in a great Christian home, but I still remember hearing from my parents all the time, not, not speaking uh, of salvation, but speaking in life, right, that you, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Uh, maybe you've heard that phrase, uh, you know, uh, you have to work for what y- you want. And, and this type of thing, that's, that's just normal in, in this life. And it, it seems logical. It, it feels right. If you want something, you have to go out and, and work for it. And, and so there are some churches today that have carried that over into the teachings of the Bible and, and added it to the teachings of the Bible. And they would say that, you know, faith, faith in Jesus is, is necessary. But to truly be saved, there has to be something more. You also have to do something for it. You have to believe in Jesus and, okay? And you'll hear that word and quite frequently. You, you need to believe in Jesus and be baptized. You need to believe in Jesus and go through these confirmation classes or, or some other program or, or do these types of things, right? Uh, the single largest denomination um, in the world that, that claims to be Christian actually teaches that Jesus Christ is the, is the first and absolutely necessary step for salvation. You can't get saved without Jesus, which, you know, sounds really good up to that point. But then they go on to teach that you still have to make some atonement for your own sins. You have to pay and you have to suffer for the wrongs that you have committed against God. And so they invented a place called purgatory where you have to suffer and pay the penalty for your own sins. And there's other groups. Perhaps you know... People like this who would say, "Yeah, believing in jesus is is all right, but you know you also need to be a, a good person, you need to lead a a good moral life and again, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it, especially to our ears that are used to hearing that that you have to work for and earn what you get, but in reality, all these examples that i 've just given are nothing more than that same old error that was facing the church back in Colossae. And that error states that it takes more than Jesus to complete your salvation. And it doesn't matter... Really, what that more is that you would stick onto to it, whether it's adding circumcision and keeping the law of Moses or baptism or, or confirmation or communion or good works or being a member of the right denomination, the specific church, it doesn't matter what it is. If you take faith in Jesus and you add any requirement to it in order to gain salvation, then according to the Bible, it's error. And that error comes from not understanding what it is that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. See, at the the very core, this false teaching is saying that Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross was not quite sufficient to pay for or to atone for all of your sin. And that means that something is left that's required for you to pay. Some part of it that you have to take care of. and this is a, a false teaching that hundreds of thousands of people have fallen prey to. The uh, first thing that Paul does in combating this error is teach people the truth of their condition. Before salvation, right? Look at verse 13 again. He starts off. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That, that word dead, that, that's not that simply hyperbole or, or you know, some dramatic exaggeration for, for impact. It's the actual spiritual condition of each person without Jesus Christ. They are physically alive, but spiritually you are dead as a doorknob, right? And this goes against, again, what a lot of people would like to teach today. Some would like to teach, you know, we're not dead, we're just ignorant and in need of more education. Perhaps you've heard that. Or or they'll say, you know, you're sick and and in need of treatment or disabled and in in need of a little help or or confused and misguided and and just in need of some reform. That's not what the Bible says. Ephesians two one, I mean, states it quite bluntly for us. It says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins." And being dead, there's only really one remedy that will make any difference, right? You don't need religion when you're dead. You don't need philosophy or or, or a greater determination and and exertion to do what's right, the only remedy for a dead person is life. But that's it. That's the only remedy. A a dead person must be raised to to new life. Otherwise, anything else you do with them is worthless. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. Verse 13 goes on to say, he, that's God, he made you alive together with him, Jesus. So how how is it that God could make us alive? Well, you say, hey, he's God, right? He can do anything he wants. He just snaps his finger and, hey, they're alive now. But that's not quite true. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or realized this or not, but there's things that God can't do and you know before you throw me out of the church as a heretic let me explain uh, let me explain what I mean one of the things that God cannot do is break his word if he broke his word he would no longer be perfect and if he's no longer perfect then he would no longer be God therefore God by the very definition of his nature cannot break his word that's why the psalmist can declare with great confidence in Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word stands firm in heaven. And that word firm means unmovable, unchangeable. It can't ever be broken. Or as Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There'll be no change in that. So, back to a question at hand: How can God make us alive when we're dead? Well, see, one of the truths that God has declared in His unchangeable word, something He 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 will not uh, ever flex, is that the wages of sin is death. And since that is true, God can't just snap His fingers and make us alive. Because if He did, He would be going against his word, which says, hey, there's a, there's a penalty, there's a wage uh, for, for sin. So in order to make us alive, God had to do something about those wages, the, the, that penalty of sin. So let's go again back to look at verse 13, see how it ends. What did he do? How did God make us alive together with Christ? The verse says, having forgiven all of our transgressions. But again, you say, well, how can He forgive us the penalty, uh, of our transgressions if the penalty is death and that penalty has to be paid? What is it that makes that a possibility? And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. And what is it that Jesus Christ did? Well, I'm glad you asked because see that's what verse 14 tells us. It says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. Having done what? Nailed it to the cross. Now, there's two different ways that that word certificate or phrase certificate of death. Uh, was understood back in the ancient world. Uh, one was that it was a promissory note. And this is actually how probably most of the Jews reading the text would have have understood it or taken it. Uh, a promissory note is a legal document which simply states that you will pay in full a specific debt which has been accumulated by you. And it's kind of like an IOU only legally binding. And this particular promissory note is an acknowledgement that we are bound to keep God's law and satisfy all His rightful demands upon humans. And all of God's demands are rightful, right? Uh, Since He's our creator, since He made us, He gets to set the rules that we live by. And so our job is to keep those rules. And whenever we would fall short, we're accumulating debt. And the payoff for that debt is death. That's how this promissory note works. So picture yourself sitting at a table across from God, and it's now time to square up accounts. And God holds up this promissory note. Here's your obligation that, that you are bound to. Perfect obedience. Can you, can you claim perfect obedience before God or, or do you owe Him anything? If you owe Him something, are you able to pay up? Well, you can. What's the payment? Death. So it becomes pretty apparent that we cannot pay the debt we owe apart from dying. That's why verse 14 says that this certificate of debt consisted of decrees which was hostile to us, right? It's hostile because it requires our death. The second way that that phrase certificate of death could be understood is that it's referring to the Roman titulus. Uh, And this was how most Gentiles would have understood this particular phrase. And, And either Jew or Gentile, either understanding, it's going to bring us back to the exact same position. In Roman law, whenever a person was condemned as a criminal... A written accusation of his crimes was was placed as a placard above uh, him where he was being executed. And this placard was called the titulus. And this was done so that everyone witnessing it could see and read this person's guilt. And, And it served then as a justification for the punishment that they were incurring. And that's what happened when, uh, with Jesus, when Pontius Pilate, right, wrote that inscription and placed it above him uh, on on the on the cross. Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, according to Rome, that was his crime: being a a, a king in opposition to Caesar. So, in, in reference to us, this titleless would proclaim for all the world to see every infraction of God's law. Every infraction that you have committed against God's law. I mean, think just about the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Anytime you've done your own thing instead of what God wanted, you were placing some other God before the Lord. Or honor your father and mother. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife or anything he possesses. How are you doing so far? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think my titleless would be so big they'd need a couple extra crosses just to hold it. It's a certificate of debt that I owe God. I'm guilty, and I know I'm guilty. My, my titleless is full of decrees, and it is hostile to me because it requires my debt. That's a debt I can't pay. But see, praise God. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. He took that certificate and he canceled it. How? By nailing it to the cross. Jesus Lived a perfect life. He satisfied all the demands of God's law, and therefore, as my substitute, when, when he was nailed to the cross, he was able to take that penalty that I owe and pay it for my sins. My title, as my promissory note, was nailed to Christ with Christ to the cross, and, and that debt was eliminated. And so was yours. It was taken out of the way, no longer existed. And therefore, God can legally forgive our sins. Of course, the the question might still be asked, well, exactly how much, how much of my debt did God pay? I mean, maybe like some people or or churches teach, uh, He got it started for us, uh, but, but we still have to do our part. He he forgave a a portion of our sins, but maybe we still have to to pay for some of them. You know, there's a a small three-letter word that's contained in verse 13 that is incredibly important and speaks specifically to this question. And and I'll read that portion of the verse again, and you see if you can pick out the word. Actually, I'll make it easy for you. You pick out the word here. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. All, I mean, what, what a great word that is. Jesus forgave all my sins. That's why when Jesus was on the cross suffering and paying for our sins just before He died, He cried out what? It is finished. Oh, isn't that great? He didn't say, Hey, I, I got it nearly done. So now you guys can go ahead and try and work on wrapping up the loose ends. He didn't say, I got a good start for you. So now if you work really hard and you be really good and you do enough good works, you might be able to get in. He didn't say that at all. He, he cried out, it is finished, which literally means paid in full that, that's the Greek word means paid in full that certificate of debt is cancelled when you place your faith in Christ you are officially debt free that's what's true of you because of the cross how many of you have ever heard of Horatio Spafford Yeah, a couple of you recognize that name. Most of you will go, oh, yeah, as soon as I say this. He's most famous for writing the hymn, It is well with my soul. And in the third verse, he wrote this incredible truth. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. So how about you? Can you say that same thing this morning? See maybe maybe you've been coming to church in an effort to do your part. to to clean up your life. Perhaps you feel that that God can't forgive all your sins because, man, if you knew what was in my past, if you knew the struggles I have right now, if you knew these things going on, hey, the good news is that your part is to accept what Christ has done for you. and you will be debt free. And since Jesus paid it all, there's nothing left for you to pay. Maybe you've come to the cross for forgiveness, but you still struggle because you can't forgive yourself. You're still struggling with with guilt for sins and mistakes of the past hey, you need to be reminded you're debt-free. That's what's true of you because of the cross. Let's pray. Father God, oh, we're so thankful for your plan of salvation, for your gift of grace for your forgiveness which cancels our debt and God we know the gift of that salvation was incredibly spendy it cost Jesus Christ everything but he paid that debt so that we could be free so God help us to walk in that freedom help us first of all to accept that salvation that you offer and having accepted it God, help us to understand and apply it. We are debt-free. We don't carry that guilt anymore. And you allow us to walk in newness of life. So thank you, God, for your good work of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.